take your Bibles tonight and turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter number 9, 1 Samuel chapter number 9, if you will, and uh, I will say and hope that this is an encouragement. The last couple services, uh, we've had some uh, problems with my microphone because my uh, I'm wearing it on the side and I turned it off last week because I... Uh, have had a couple too many pieces of pecan pie recently. And uh, so that happened again on Sunday. So I'm working on that. And uh, I'm actually wearing my microphone pack in a different place. So hopefully uh, that is an encouragement. We won't have microphone troubles tonight. That would be a blessing. Uh, so anyway, uh, take your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter number 9. And I hope you've had a great week. Uh, it's been exciting to see the Lord at work. Uh, this past week, and uh, just God is on the move, and we're excited to be a part of what He's doing. Please continue to pray for uh, the academy and uh, all of the things involved there. Uh, drove by today and uh, just kind of peek in the windows, and they're doing all kinds of electrical work and all kinds of AC work, and uh, it's just exciting to see everything kind of rolling right along. So please be in prayer for that. As we get into chapter number 9 of 1 Samuel, we introduce ourselves to a brand new family. We focused uh, the first eight chapters primarily on uh, two spiritual leaders over the people, their families, but yet we saw the corruption, the failed leadership of not only Eli's family in the first few chapters, but now we've seen Samuel's family has kind of fallen apart. And uh, in chapter number 8, we saw that uh, the people come to Samuel and say, hey, uh, your family is not helping, they're rather hurting uh, the leadership process, the leadership tree. And when we see uh, what has happened, uh, it's easy for us to just remember that just because someone is in leadership doesn't mean that they have everything together. Uh, just because someone has been a, given a position of authority doesn't mean that they uh, have everything going on the right way. And sadly, we've seen that true in most of our lives. We've seen people fall and we've seen people uh, stumble in their Christian race who uh, held titles, uh, titles of prominence and respect in our lives. But uh, when we get now to chapter number 9, uh, you see a different turn that comes about. And we see, for the very first time, one of the three leaders' names mentioned that this series is all about, A Tale of Three Rulers. Uh, we see Samuel's kind of effectiveness and leadership at least in a certain sense, come to an end, and we see Saul kind of take over uh, here in uh, chapter number 9. So if you're taking notes, number one, you can write down the introduction. The introduction in the first five verses. And we don't know, really know how long the transition was between chapter number 8, when uh, God spoke to Samuel and said, uh, give the people what they want. Uh, that's what they've been asking for. That's what they desire. It's not what we desire because they ultimately were not rejecting Samuel. They're rejecting the Lord's leadership. They're rejecting his judgment, his authority in their lives. But we see the introductions with a simple opening in chapter 9 verse 1. It says, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. Now, it's very similar to the beginning of the entire book. In 1 Samuel chapter number 1, in verse number 1, the entire story says and begins, Now there was a certain man. A certain man. So really no prominence, no significance when it came to Samuel's father, Elkanah. And when we get to chapter number 9 in verse number 1, very similar. You don't really know a lot about Kish. You don't really know about a lot about his background. A few of uh, his family members are mentioned. 
But even though he was essentially a nobody as far as we're concerned before this, we see that he was a somebody at the end of verse number 1. It says he was a Benjamite, which was the smallest of the 12 tribes. But it says he was a mighty man of power. Very wealthy. He has family. He has servants. He has flocks. But then we see in verse number 2 that he had a son. It says, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his head and shoulders and upwards, he was higher than any of the people. Kish's son, Saul, good man, well-respected, well-liked, taller than everybody else. He stood out, literally stood out. Uh, So we see Saul uh, started well, but it serves as a good reminder to us that just because you start well doesn't automatically mean that you're going to end well. Uh, Just because you have a good beginning doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a good finish. And we've heard the quote many, many times, it's not really how you start, it's how you finish. And Saul did not finish well. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16, that's our uh, theme verse for uh, this concept. Remember Samuel, same guy. Uh, looks at uh, all of Jesse's sons and says, man, Eliab, he's the biggest, he's the strongest, he's the baddest, he's most likely the king candidate that God wants to replace Saul down the road. And God reminds him, uh, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Well, pastor, that's just an isolated incident. Well, how about 2 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 25? It says, but in all Israel there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. Just because it looks good right now doesn't mean that it really is. Just because it looks good right now doesn't mean that it'll stay that way. Someone rightly said, don't trust everything you see. Even salt looks like sugar. You think about it. And then someone else Rightly said, a pretty face doesn't mean a pretty heart. Pretty face doesn't mean a pretty heart. And Saul looked kingly in his appearance, but there was a time when Saul, we know the end of the story, how he fails miserably at the end of his leadership, but there was a time when he was a good guy. He was faithful. We see in verse number 3, it says, The asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. He lost a portion of his flock. Uh, lost a portion. We see a map uh, on the screen there in the back of your handout tonight of uh, just where they went. And uh, as Saul is sent for to look for these missing donkeys, hard to see, but the the spotted line is the beginning and all the way around that they searched for these donkeys. Large piece of land. They go around looking for these donkeys. And why is this a big deal? Because donkeys were a part of their livelihood, their wealth. Not only that, but the word for asses here in the Old Testament is the gender specific for female. So this wasn't just donkeys. This was female donkeys. So not only wealth, but future wealth. This is Kish's retirement that has gone walking. And so he sends Saul to fetch these donkeys. It says in verse number 3, And Kish said to Saul his son, 
Take now one of the servants with thee. Arise, go seek the asses. And then it goes through the list of where all they went. Verse number 5 says, When they were come to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come and let us return, lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. We've been gone so long that dad's going to start worrying about us. Let's just leave the donkeys, go back and uh, tell him that we did our best and we're just going to have to chalk it up that we couldn't find them. Maybe a wild beast or something happened, somebody stole them, whatever the reason, but it did not work. You have to ask yourself a question. You know, we know the contrast between Saul and David. David is shepherd, Saul looking for a flock. Maybe Saul was the watchkeeper for the flock. Maybe Saul was chosen. Maybe Saul had brothers. Maybe Saul was the one chosen because it was his responsibility. And if you look through the Bible, you don't see the oldest and the strongest dealing with the sheep, dealing with the flocks. You see the youngest. And so what if, let's just play the hypothetical, what if these were Saul's responsibility? What if Saul was the one tasked with overseeing? It does kind of paint a different picture of Saul versus David. Saul wasn't faithful to care for the flock. Saul wasn't necessarily in tune and cared about the well-being. And it gives us a great picture. And we mentioned it Sunday night in our growth groups uh, on uh, ministry and the gift of service. If you can't serve well, chances are excellent you won't be able to lead well. Because servanthood, service, is a prerequisite for leadership. If you can't serve, you really don't have any business leading. Because you need to be able to identify with those that you're leading so you can lead well. Remember the contrast to David when his father sent him to check on his brothers in 1 Samuel chapter 17? Goes, hey, I want you to go out and check on your three oldest brothers and uh, see how the battle goes, how the battle fares. See how it's going. 1 Samuel 17, verse 20, And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. And he didn't just go off gallivant. Yeah, the sheep will still be there when I get home. Hopefully, he left them with someone. Character. And then two verses later, when he got there with the supplies in verse 22, it says, And David left his carriage in the hand of a keeper. He left everything that he was responsible for. He turned it over to someone to safeguard what was his responsibility. David was responsible. Maybe Saul wasn't. Maybe he was responsible. Maybe he wasn't. So within the first few verses, we see kind of a dilemma of Saul's family. Saul is now out and about by himself with this servant looking for these donkey, these missing livestock. So we see the introduction. Then number two, we see the instructions. The instructions. And we see kind of a breakdown, different people here. Saul was determined to leave and uh, go home, but not before the servant, this nameless person, speaks up. Uh, look at what he says in verse number 6. We see the instructions from the servant. From the servant. The servant knew of a prophet. Look at verse 6. And he said unto him, Behold now, there is in this city a man of God. Can I just time out for a second and say that this is awesome. The fact that the servant knew of the man of God. Do you have somebody in your life that you could put in that spot? 
Uh, Do you have somebody, a spiritual leader, a spiritual mentor, uh, maybe it's a pastor or a Sunday school teacher, uh, a a deacon or a family member or a spiritual godly man or woman in your life that you could say, I know a spiritual person who can help. We think about our battles and this past Sunday when we talk about having the right anchor points. It is vital, vital that we have people around us in our life to help us when the winds of storm come our way. When those trials come. And this servant said, I know that there is a man of God in this city. And specifically this city. The journey's long. You see on the map how far that they had traveled. And they end in the right place. Exactly where they need to be. Saul didn't just halfway around the circle say, yes, let's just stop. In the exact place that he needed to be the exact city they needed to be in Saul says let's go back and the servant says wait in this very city this city right where they needed to be and for us our journey might be long but just remember God has you exactly where you need to be right where you are see Samuel was the exact person remember it wasn't just that they were in the right city they were near the right person. Samuel was the one who was responsible for choosing the next king, anointing the next king. And who is with this servant? The guy that is to be anointed the next king over Israel. The right person. How ironic uh, that this prophet was the servant who was the servant that he was talking about. Proverbs 16, verse number 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Are are we following his leading? As he leads, are we saying, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll go. As the old missionary said, where where he leads me, I will follow and what he feeds me, I will swallow. You know, it's just one of those things of, uh, am I leading in the right direction? Am I following him? But it also shows just how far the servant was willing to go to fulfill this need. Look at verse number uh, 7. Then said Saul to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? It's customary. We can't just show up empty-handed. We can't just uh, thank this guy, ask him for a request, and then give him nothing. Just say a thank you and move on. Verse number 8, And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver, took out of his own pocket, He said, that will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. You know, think about, they could have turned back a long time ago. They could have stopped somewhere where they weren't, didn't need to be. But at the exact place, the exact city, the exact person, and now the exact servant who was willing to give of himself. Uh, You could take that a little bit further and say that that shekel, that fourth part of a shekel, that was most likely his pay from the father who had provided in advance what he needed when he needed it. Uh, Is anybody following this? Uh, The fact that the father provides exactly what we need even before we know that we need it. The father provided that. The father gave that to the servant. Uh, Moreover, it is required in stewards, servants, that a man be found faithful. The greatest accolade that we could ever receive when we get to heaven. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, That's all we ever are. 
Uh, we, we know that we've been adopted in, grafted in as sons and daughters of the king. But the highest title that we can ever achieve is a servant. And this servant, this nameless nobody, uh, doesn't matter his name. The fact that he stepped up in the right moment. All of these different parallels. Uh, your name and my name is not important. But will we step up in the right moment? And when, when your opportunity is given, this man could have said, Saul, I don't know what we'll give him. You got anything? I, I'm not giving my quarter of a shekel. You're not getting that. I, I worked hard for that. But he's willing to give. Ready to give. Ready to throw it out at a moment's notice. They could have said, we tried. They could have said, we, we looked. We, we went all the way around this big circle. But isn't that what we do at times? Don't we say, well, you know, Lord, I tried. You know, I gave that person a track. I knocked on that neighbor's door and invited them one time five years ago, and they never came. So I guess that was their opportunity. Why not keep knocking? Why not keep asking? Why not keep giving and going and doing? Why not? Because when we think about the Great Commission, it says in Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, have we done that? And if not, what are we waiting for? If we haven't accomplished that, why are we sitting still? Well, he told us to, in Matthew 28 to teach everyone all things, teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Have we done that? If not, why? What are we waiting on? What is taking so long? If we're a disciple of Jesus carrying his cross, following him, leading others to him, what are we waiting for? Remember, even the disciples needed a nudge. Remember Acts chapter 1 and verse 11? While they're standing, looking up in the clouds, waiting for Jesus to come back. They're well, he said he was going to come back, so let's just wait here. And remember, the angels said, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? What are you waiting for? Go. Go. Do what he told you to do. Do what he commanded. Get busy. And that's our charge as well. We're to be busy for the master because the servant, that's who we are, the servant has been given what we need to accomplish the task from the Father. Given what we need. Not only from the servants, we see those instructions. We also see instructions, number two, from the maidens. Verse number 11 says, As they went up the hill to the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water, said to them, Is the seer here? The seer, the prophet, the, the overseer, the one who is the religious leader. Is he here? And they answered him and said, He is. Behold, he is before you. Make haste now, for he came today to the city, for there is a sacrifice of the people to draw in, uh, draw in the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you shall straightway find him before he go up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he come, because he doth bless the sacrifice, and afterwards they eat that be bidden. Now therefore get you up, for about this time ye shall find him. They go looking in this city, the right city, the right place, with the right people, the right personnel. They go into the city and they meet these maidens. Is the seer here? Yes, you're in the right place. Confirmation, validation. We're in the right place. They knew where he was. They gave him GPS turn-by-turn directions. Go here, go to this corner, go to this stand, go, and you'll find him. Everywhere you need to go. But not only were they where they needed to be, so was Samuel. Samuel was where he needed to be. Remember in chapter 7 and verse number 16? Remember after Samuel gave them the dissertation, if you follow the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant can come back. And if you follow the Lord, he sets up the altar. They worship together. 
And then in chapter 7, verse 16, it says, And he went from year to year in circuit. We talked about in chapter 7 that that means that he traveled around a circuit for a year. Hit a place, go to the next 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 place. An entire year he spent going from Rama all the way around in the circle. So it just so happens, anybody getting this? It just so happens that Samuel is in the exact place that he needed to be. Not only were they in the right place, but Samuel was in the right place. And they thought that they were looking for the prophet. But Samuel was looking for Saul and didn't even know it. And he was being brought to, by strange circumstances, brought to Samuel. They thought they were looking for donkeys and it became a whole lot more than that. A lot more than that. The girls tell them in verse 12, now, now, don't wait, go do it. They could have slept on it. They could have refreshed. They could have shaved. They could have showered. They could have done all these things. But they did not have time to waste, and we don't either. When it comes to living for the Lord, when it comes to serving Him, we don't have time to waste. I think we're going to find out one day when we get to heaven how many opportunities we missed because we didn't see urgency. You know, we think about when... We hear the Word of God, or we read the Bible, or we, we're presented with a challenge, and the Holy Spirit convicts our heart. That's not something that we're supposed to dwell on. Well, let me pray about it for a month. Some things you don't have to pray about. Some things you just obey, because they're the right thing to do, because they're commands. Well, you know, I, I need to pray about this next step. If you know it's a biblical step, there is nothing to pray about. You simply obey. Simply follow. Uh, remember Proverbs 13, verse 4, The soul of the slugger desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Be blessed. When we look at our own diligence, are we moving? Are we striving? Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Only let your conversation, your manner of living, your way of life, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. If they would have waited, they could have missed out on this chance encounter. On this very supernatural meeting. This divinely appointed meeting. You know, what could you and I miss if we don't haste, hasten? What could we miss if when the Holy Spirit speaks, we don't respond? But rather we wait. Well, you know, I want, I want to think about it. I want to pray about it. I want to pond. If God's commanded it, there is nothing to pray about. We do it. We do it. We see the instructions from, uh, from, these, from the servant. We see the instruction from the maiden. Number three, we see the instruction from the Lord. Verse number 14, And when they went up to the city, they were coming to the city. Behold, Samuel came out against them for to go up to the high place. Time out. Let's get back story. Verse 15, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before. So God is already preparing Samuel for this meeting. God has already told him that you are going to meet. Tomorrow you are going to meet the one that you're going to anoint. And while he is coming, getting to his place, Saul is coming to the place where Samuel would be. The same place. God brings them together. In verse 17, And when Samuel Saul saw Saul, say that one three times real fast, uh, Samuel saw Saul. The Lord said unto him, no, I'm not saying, reading that verse again. Behold the man whom I speak of thee of, this same shall reign over my people. 
Samuel knows immediately when he sees Saul, that's the guy. He's the one. I'm supposed to anoint him. But Saul doesn't know who Samuel is. Look at verse 18. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. Hey, we're looking for this guy. He's about five foot ten and he's got a long beard and he's an older guy. He's old. The Bible says he's 60. He's old, you know. Uh, so well, he looks younger the closer I get. Uh, but you think about, he's trying to explain, hey, we're looking for the seer. We're looking for the prophet. Can you tell us where he is? Verse 19, and Samuel answered Saul and said, I'm the seer. Hey, I, I'm the guy you're looking for. I'm the one that the servant said to be looking for. I'm, I'm in the right place at the right time, the right person. And he says, go up before me, even unto the high place, for ye shall eat with me today. And the more I'll let thee go, will tell thee all that is in thine heart. I'm sure there were mixed emotions in this meeting. You remember, this is the guy who's going to take Samuel's place. Samuel was the spiritual advisor and the people wanted a king. They wanted another advisor. So in a certain way, Saul was taking Samuel's place. Remember when Elijah uh, met the Lord and talked to the Lord in the mountain when he was on the run from Jezebel? And the Lord spoke to him in a still small voice and said, Hey, I want you to go down. You'll be sustained. And along the way, you're going to meet Elisha and he's going to take your place. What? God, did you not just see what I did? Like just a few days ago. Uh, I called down fire from heaven and you're, you're replacing me? Uh, what? That's not fair. But sometimes God's plan is not our plan. Sometimes God says... Your time's done. And see, we might not say our time's done. Well, yeah, I got a lot more time, Lord. I can give you all. But see, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Uh, see, he looks at things differently. So from time to time, when something comes up and you say, well, God, that's not fair. Just remember, his plan isn't always our plan. Oh, we got a plan. Oh, man, God, if, if you need help, I, I'll help you. You just tell me. You tap Tap out, God, I'll help. He doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. And we see this time period was getting ready to change. And it's here that we see Saul's name bring significance. You know, the people had asked Samuel for a king. And Samuel had asked for advice from the Lord. Imagine when they exchanged names for the very first time. Samuel, his name, God has heard. God has heard. You know, a prayer of Hannah, by the way. She named him, God has heard my prayer, Samuel, his name. What does Saul mean? It means asked for. God has heard, asked for. Samuel and Saul. The people asked for a king and Saul was asked for. It's pretty fitting that God always answers the exact way that he desires. He always answers his way. Was Saul perfect? Absolutely not. Was Samuel perfect? No, but God was showing that he was working behind the scenes. Now, what has God done for you recently to show that he's working? What has God done for you personally recently to show that he is still in charge? It's interesting here in verse number 16. It says, I'm going to send you a man tomorrow, Samuel, and you're going to be, anoint him to be captain. Now, the people said, we want a king. But God said, you're going to anoint a captain. Now, he'd be called the king later on, but at his anointing, he wasn't called the king. 
he was called a captain. Why? Because the Hebrew word means prince or leader. See, God was saying, you can have a prince or a leader, but I'm always going to be your king. And how is that seen? Look at verse number 16 again. Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people. Oh, one time. Uh, that he may save my people. Two. Out of the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people. God is still saying, he can be captain. I'll let him be captain. But they're still my people. Uh, just a great reminder for us. Uh, we can say whatever we want, but if you are a child of God, you belong to Him. He is yours and you are His. Uh, a Song of Solomon series should teach us that. You know, I am my beloved's and He is mine. Uh, we belong to Him. Uh, and just a great thing for me in leadership, uh, I don't have a people. I don't have a flock that's mine. You know, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2 uh, Peter said, feed the flock of God which is among you, not under you. Among you. You know what that means? That I'm a part of the flock too. This is our flock together. We get to be, be in the same thing. My responsibility is to feed, take the oversight. And then in verse number 3, Peter said, neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Not mine, being the example, being faithful. Being a steward. God said to the children of Israel in Isaiah 43.1, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Mine. Never forget that you belong to him. You're his. And we see the instructions from the servant, from the maidens, from the Lord. And then fourthly, we see the instructions from Samuel. From Samuel. Look at verse number 18 again. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. We see the encounter. Look at verse 20. And as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they're found. Hey, you know those donkeys that you were looking for? They're found. Somebody found them, took them home a long time ago. But here's the problem. Your dad is worried about you. So you probably need to be heading home. But before we do that, let's eat. My kind of guy. Before you leave, let's eat. Uh, let's focus. Let's prioritize. And, and now he can relax. Uh, the reason that he was traveling in the first place had been checked off the list. Now he's given instructions. Hey, we're going to sit down and eat. And then Samuel instructs the cook. He says, I want you to give him the best portion. Sit him at the best seat of the table. The highest place. The most honorable place which leads Saul to ask the question verse 21 am not I am a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin wherefore then speakest thou so to me why are you doing all this why are you treating me this way Samuel I don't deserve any of this you know why would Samuel be impressed with him he was a nobody and remember Samuel even refers back to this in Saul's disobedience in 1 Samuel 15, verse 17, and said, When thou wast little in thine own sight. There was a time, Saul, when you saw yourself as a nobody, when you didn't think of yourself as somebody. And see, Saul knew he was nothing, but over time believed he was everything. Over everyone, including God. 
And see, God is just looking for people who continually believe that they're nothing, but with God can be anything. God is looking for people who continually believe that they're nothing, but with God can be anything. Can be anything. Remember Jesus said in John 15, 5, For without me, you can do nothing. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You can't become anything. You are nothing without him. We see the instruction. We see the uh, introduction. And then lastly tonight, we see the invitation. Look at verse 24. And the cook took up the shoulder. Now that doesn't mean like the hunchback of Notre Dame. Okay, this is a piece of meat. And that which is upon it set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Behold, that which is left, set it before thee, and eat. For unto this time hath been kept for thee, since I said, I've invited the people. So Saul did eat with Samuel that day. And when they were come down from the high place in the city, Samuel communed with Saul upon the top of the house. And they rose early, and it came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up, that I may send thee away. And Saul rose, and they and went out both of them, he and Samuel abroad. And as they were going down at the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant pass on before us. And he passed on. But stand thou still a while, that I may show thee the word of God. Now, you think about Samuel symbolically hands the keys of the kingdom over to him in the next three verses. Hands it all over. Samuel says, I want to meet with you. I want to talk to you. I want to give you some valuable truth. But I want you to hear the word of God. Remember, Samuel did that with the people in chapter 8, verse 10. It says, And Samuel told the words of the Lord unto the people that asked him a king. I'm faithful to give the word of the Lord. Even at the end of Samuel's ministry in this particular role, he's still giving the word of God. See, Saul thought he was looking for donkeys. But what he encountered was the word of God. You know that everything that happens in chapter number 9 is because of the Word of God? Everything. He told Samuel in chapter 8, give him a king. He told him in verse 16 that he would send him a man to anoint. And the expectation was for him to follow the Word of God. Saul's life built up on the Word of God. Samuel spoke to him in chapter 12, verse 14, the people. Saul was present. If you'll fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. They knew the instruction, but here's the question. What was it that ultimately ended Saul's reign? He disobeyed the word of God. The thing that he was prepped, he was ready, he was commanded, I'm going to tell you the word of the Lord. I'm going to share with you the word of God. Hey, fear the Lord. Obey his commandments. All of these things. And in chapter 15, verse 22 and 23. Remember, he's confronted, disobeys the direct command of Samuel, who got the command from the Lord to tell to Saul. In verse 22, it says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And the last phrase, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Because you cannot obey God's word. You can no longer lead, Saul. 
God is going to take the kingdom from you and give it to a neighbor. Give it to someone right down the road. Give it to someone who will, a man after God's own heart, will follow my voice, will follow my instruction, will lead my people in the way that I would. So how vital is it that we follow the Lord? How vital is it that we follow the Word of God? Our spiritual life depends on it. Following His Word. You'll never find a Christian who walks with the Lord apart from obeying His Word. Never. Everyone who walks with the Lord will obey His Word. Are you obeying Him? Father, thank You so much for Your Word and Thank you for the challenges that we see that apply to us. Lord, I thank you so much for the life of Samuel and Saul and ultimately David. Lord, they show us great pictures of what we should be. Lord, I ask that you please use us in a special way. Help us to see you at work in our hearts and help us to hear your word. Help us to obey your voice. Lord, help us not to get to a place where you have to remove us and Set us on the shelf for someone else because we could not obey your voice. Please give us wisdom and strength to obey. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're getting ready to go to our prayer time at this